Smolsky with the McIver Institute, and we're pleased to be in Janesville with Congressman Brian Stile for this episode of the McIver Newsmakers Podcast. Representative Stile is in his second term representing Wisconsin's first district, which includes the cities of Janesville, Racine, Kenosha, and parts of Milwaukee. Congressman, thank you very much for being with us today. Thanks for having me here. So let's kick things off with Russia because that's really dominated much of what Congress has been doing in the past couple of months. And just looking at some of the bills that were passed uh, last month in April, we see Congress voting to suspend normal trade relations with Russia and Belarus, seizing Russian assets and turning them over to Ukraine, suspending energy imports from Russia, supporting Ukrainian religious freedom, supporting Moldova's and Georgia's independence from Russia, countering Russian influence in Africa and a World War II style lend-lease arrangement with the Ukraine. And those were almost all bipartisan votes and probably the only issue that Democrats and Republicans are on, uh, seem to agree on right now. All right, so those votes also seem to suggest that we're on a collision course with Russia. So my question is, is that a reasonable conclusion? Well, I think we're on a collision course with Russia, but only in the regards that we need to change Russia's policy on this. And so what we have seen is this administration in particular showing weakness globally, and there's real-world implications to that. I think it really starts with the botched evacuation of Afghanistan, the implications that the global uh, power players look at the United States, view us as weak, Russia then acts on that. We should have never been in this position in the first place. Now we're here, what do we do? One, we have to show strength with the Ukrainians, in particular the Ukrainian military is fighting valiantly uh, to protect their freedoms and liberties and territorial integrity. Uh, also, uh, with the people who are suffering in Ukraine from an unjust, unprovoked attack uh, by, uh, by Putin. Then the question is, where do we go from here? And I think the real answer to that is we need to make sure that we're providing uh, the lethal assistance that's needed by the Ukrainian military to be able to defend uh, their positions, their territory, and ultimately to be able to fight for their freedoms and liberties. And so we have the ability to continue to provide significant uh, lethal weapon support uh, in alignment with our allies. But the, the big question is, is how is President Putin, to me, the, the big question on the table is, how is he funding this? And the answer to that is that the West, democracies in the West, are sending the state of Russia ballpark 300 million U.S. dollars a day, every day, for oil and natural gas coming from Russia. We have wound that down in the United States. We should have never been in a position to be dependent on Russian, uh, Russian oil in the first place. But our European allies, think of Germany in particular, have become far too dependent on Russia for their energy needs. The, the West has been following an energy policy from a Swedish high school student <laughs> who has clearly not read world history. And it's allowed these countries to become dependent on Russia for their energy needs we need to work to decouple that dependency, and we can do that by dramatically changing our energy policies here in the United States. And so if we said, where do we go from here? It's one, in the, in the, in the near and immediate term, we need to provide support, uh, military support to the Ukrainian military. But in the, in the, it's immediate action required to dramatically change our energy policies such that we can actually decouple our allies from their dependence on Russia and stop the West from funding the war that Russia's perpetrating. All right, you're gonna make me jump around here a little bit, but that's fine. Um, uh, and yeah, we'll get into long-term stuff in a moment, but you know, in terms of like the, sh the, the uh, short-term stuff, you know, the sending them, you know, uh, fiscal and military equipment mm -hmm. support, 
Um, you know, first of all, you know, the, the big one is the $33 billion that President Biden just promised. Um, what kind of oversight are we going to see on that kind of money? There, there's, there's concerns as to what type of oversight we're going to see. That's true. The United States, I think, has the ability already, and we have been doing it, to transfer large amounts, uh, not only in quantity, but also in, in value of lethal weapons uh, to Ukraine. I think we're going to see a continued need uh, to do that in the future. I think the biggest question uh, is where are there areas that we can get our other spending under control? And so I think you're going to see actually pretty strong bipartisan agreement on this military aid to Ukraine. I think it's important that we do that. I think it's important that we show uh, that we stand with the, the people of Ukraine fighting for freedom and liberty. The question is, where are there areas that we can get ourselves under control? And as we look at all this pandemic era money that went out the door, but in particular pandemic era money that's been allocated but not spent, there is an amazing opportunity for us to look into those buckets and say, okay, let's begin to claw this back. Let's become far more targeted and thoughtful uh, on our spending. But writ large, Congress does a terrible job of oversight of how we spend funds. It's actually one of the reasons I think we should do biannual budgeting in Washington, which was what Wisconsin does at the state level. Just take take the time, spend the money, figure out what the nation, national priorities are, and then take a year to review those programs and conduct substantive oversight over how well was the money that was allocated actually spent. Uh, we need to do that mm -hmm. across the board in Washington. Uh, this military aid is only one aspect of it. So, you know, from a, you know, I dare say, most Wisconsinites, you know, probably have never met a Russian, probably never met a Ukrainian, probably never been to Russia or Ukraine, or the Ukraine. Um, why, why should we support spend, sending billions of dollars to this foreign war? Why should we uh, support sending our own military hardware over to this foreign war? Well, uh, I guess, what is the self-interest aspect for a Wisconsinite? But I think it's important globally that we maintain the territorial integrity of countries around the globe. We don't allow countries uh, to be subject to be coming take be, to be taken over uh, by hostile forces. I think that's important as it relates to Ukraine, uh, democracy in Eastern Europe, clearly on the border with Russia. But that also plays into other democracies around the globe. Think of Taiwan. Taiwan, a country of only a handful of million people, sitting just off the shore of over a billion people in uh, the communist country of China, uh, where China has clear territorial ambitions uh, over the democracy of Taiwan. And so if we fail to provide assistance to the Ukrainians who are fighting for their freedoms and liberties, I think it will continue to send a message of weakness from the United States. And the bullies who are out there, whether or not it's Putin or whether or not uh, it's she is looking at this and making decisions of what their next move is. The United States does not have to engage directly militarily. So I, I, I was at the, the joint hearing with President Zelensky when he spoke to members of Congress. He requested a no-fly zone. That's the right request for him to make. Is not in the best interest and is not in the national security interest of the United States to enforce because it would call upon United States military personnel, our Air Force in particular, to be in direct engagement uh, with the Russian military. I think we can avoid that by providing that assistance and support uh, to the, the military of Ukraine. Yeah, and I saw your name on bills like involving like Iranian drones and, you know, uh, th there was uh, uh, something for uh, Taiwan as well. And, um, and you're saying those aren't all, those aren't all individual concerns are all connected. I, I think they're very yeah. connected. I think if we go back and we look at the botched evacuation from Afghanistan, 
that was a moment in time when many dictators around the globe looked, viewed the United States in a position of weakness, and then made plans to act. Putin was the first to act. But I think other dictators around the globe uh, who are intent on expanding their, their territorial uh, position or altering the strategic environment they find themselves in viewed that as a moment to act. Putin is clearly learning a lesson uh, that the United States is not going to be that weak. Uh, but I think it's important that we actually continue to show strength uh, with countries around the globe. Now, how do, um, you're doing your town halls and um, your listening sessions. How, how much does Russia come up right now compared to other issues? Because there's so much going on right now. There's so much going on. I would say the, the unique part is as it relates to Ukraine, people actually come in and want to actually know what's going on. I think there's just a lot of people that don't have their heads totally wrapped around what's actually playing out. What is the role of the United States as it relates to Ukraine? What is Russia trying to do? What are the, what are the weapons we need to support? Uh, but I reflect back uh, in my town hall that I did in Oak Creek, uh, a woman came uh, who was a native of Ukraine, um, who had moved here, married, and now is a U.S. citizen. Uh, her mom and dad are in the country of Ukraine, relatives in the country of Ukraine. Uh, she came to the town hall and, and spoke to me. Uh, and it's a moment of reflection that you realize that a country of 40 million people uh, is under attack, uh, unjustly, in an unprovoked attack by Russia. Um, and I think that there are a lot of people here in the United States that understand that we need to stand firmly and strongly against this unjust, unprovoked attack. But I think they're actually walking in and trying to get their heads wrapped around uh, what's going on. It's a, it's a challenging, confusing environment. Now, <clears throat> oddly enough, the war in Ukraine actually ties to climate change policy, which I know you spent a lot of time with. So... One of the votes I mentioned were, you know, we've cut off Russian energy uh, imports, and now you're supporting a return to American energy independence, and that's something the Biden administration kind of put an end to to cater to the climate change activists. Now, could you talk a little bit about the dynamic in Washington? Because I mean, this is a this is a pretty logical case. You know, you cut off Russian oil, we need <coughs> to drill our own oil. Now, how's that actually playing out in, in Washington? We are a long ways away from dramatically reforming our energy policy in the United States. What we need to do, in my opinion, is an all-of-the-above approach. Energy costs are high in the United States, whether or not that's your home heating costs this past winter. They've been through the roof, whether or not that's your cost to fill up your car uh, at the pump. Those costs are high. Why? Because we, we don't have enough supply to meet the demand. So how do you fix that? You increase the supply. The Biden administration has an approach where they're trying to dramatically shift us from carbon fuels into renewable energy. And this transition will, will probably continue to take place naturally over time. There's gonna be a natural evolution uh, into more renewable energy where the market actually supports that. What they're trying to do, the Biden administration, is dramatically accelerate this transition. And to encourage that before the war, what they were trying to do is drive up the costs of carbon fuels to encourage development of say solar panels or of, of wind farms. Now we entered a period of time of, of this war and we have a huge challenge on our hands. We have, to, we have to produce more energy to pull our allies off of their dependence from Russian oil and natural gas. And the Biden administration has been doing everything they can to prevent domestic production of oil and natural gas. And so 
We need an all of the above energy approach, but the one area that we can dramatically increase the quickest, so you can't just dramatically increase wind production, dramatically increase solar, you can't dramatically increase nuclear, the one area, or hydro, the one area you can is oil and natural gas. And so we have a need not only to re reduce energy prices, which are clobbering people every day in a high inflation environment, but we also have a need from a national security standpoint, not only for the United States, but also for our Western allies to lessen their dependence and ultimately end their dependence on Russian oil and natural gas. Now, do you think the Biden administration is feeling the pressure to shift its priorities at all on this, or are they just trying to have it both ways? They're feeling some basic level of pressure, but they're not really acting in a manner to change the policies that are needed. So you saw the Biden administration release um, some basic level of, of oil uh, from the National Strategic Reserves. There's nothing wrong with that per se. It's not a great use of the National Strategic Reserves. It dropped the prices maybe a little bit. It gives a little bit of a sugar high but it doesn't solve the underlying problem at all. So that to me indicates the Biden administration is feeling pressure to show that they're acting, but they're not willing to actually change the policies that are putting us in this position in the first place. And we can, we can truly change this. I mean, the, the Biden administration is sitting, for example, on six natural gas, um, na liquid natural gas terminals in the United States that would allow the United States to export liquid natural gas to Europe so they can lessen their dependence on natural gas from Russia. This would be a very obvious approval. There's nothing that justifies the Biden administration sitting and failing to approve these other than their broader philosophical disagreement with allowing any infrastructure investment uh, in hydrocarbons. How fast could those things be <clears throat> turned on? It'd take a while to build. Okay. Um, I think it, there's some market pressures in there as to yeah. how quickly they would want to build. It'd be a, you know, it'd be a year or two a long uh, down the road. This isn't, yeah. this isn't a, a three-month solution. But every day we wait mm -hmm. kicks that out one more day. So we look, we're over two months into uh, this war between Russia and Ukraine. We would have approved these two months ago. We would have been two months further along than we are today. And so I think we need to dramatically change course, dramatically change policy. And every day we wait simply puts us further behind. And the rubber's going to hit the road this fall when, as we get into the fall, in particular in Western Europe, when... You know, like Germany is like Wisconsin. I mean, it gets cold in the winter and people are going to need to heat their homes. And that dependence becomes quite real uh, for Western Europe, their dependence uh, on Russian natural gas. And so every day we wait, uh, is a, it just moves us in the wrong direction. And I think the, our need is to continue to put pressure on the Biden administration to dramatically change course. And obviously changing leadership in the House of Representatives mm -hmm. is going to be a dramatic step in that direction too. Yeah, and um, right now you're squaring mm -hmm. off with a couple of Biden administration uh, agencies, the EPA, the Security Exchange Commission, on their climate change policies. Could you talk a little bit about that and also how that, you know, obviously directly impacts your constituents here in Wisconsin? Yeah, the, the EPA administrator uh, came to the state of Wisconsin a couple weeks ago and I sent out a letter and, and made statements that he's got a lot of questions that he needs to answer. And in particular, he's put forward a series of policies that have the real world implications of raising the cost of energy. If we step back and look, why does California have ridiculously high gasoline prices? A piece of that is their state tax on gas, but that's only, that's only a piece of it. It's also the overly aggressive environmental regulations that they put in place. We don't need to loosen our environmental regulations. What we need to do is prevent them from putting unnecessary environmental regulations. Shift gears and look at the SEC, another uh, you know, quasi-independent government agency uh, that's out there putting forward very significant 
rules and regulations that are going to restrict the operations of businesses, again, driving up the cost for consumers in a high inflationary environment and preventing and, or restricting or limiting and, and at least discouraging investment in oil and natural gas, which again is the one spigot that we can dramatically turn on uh, to lessen the inflationary environment that we're feeling right now. Yeah, and speaking of the inflation, I mean, <clears throat> eight, I think we're at eight and a half percent now mm-hmm. for the year. I mean, what is the federal government doing? Like, I mean, are, are, is Congress just sitting there and getting these reports and saying, well, that's terrible news? Is the Biden administration just shrugging their shoulders? Or is there like any movement in D.C. to kind of address this in any kind of way? Well, from the, from the Republicans, yes. From, from the <laughs> Biden administration, we continue to see excuses. So the Biden administration has been focused in on selling excuses as to why inflation is occurring. I don't think the American people are buying it, but we're all paying for it. Mm-hmm. And so if we look at what that means, first they told you that it was temporary and transitory. Then they blamed Putin. Then they blamed this. Then they blamed COVID. They blamed supply chains. But if we really step back and look at what's going on, we have uniquely high energy prices. That was a policy decision by the Biden administration that led us to higher energy prices. We need to dramatically reverse and change course on that. We've allowed the Federal Reserve uh, to run rampant on their, their, their monetary policy for far too many years. And this goes back uh, for a series of years where they have kept interest rates at abnormally low levels. And now as interest rates begin to climb again, we're gonna feel the real ramifications of how uh, the Federal Reserve ran real roughshod uh, over the past handful of years. And so we need to dramatically change course. We need to get our spending under control. We need to deal with the fact that we're gonna see higher interest on the debt, which is one of my biggest concerns I don't think people are talking enough about. We need to dramatically change course on our energy policy. And instead of actually addressing the underlying causes of the inflation that's clobbering American families, it hurts everybody, it clobbers low-income workers and retirees on fixed incomes. And instead of seeing excuses, what we need to see are policy changes to get ourselves back where people don't feel like they're getting punched in the face every day. All right, so I looked at the debt clock, I think it was a week ago now. And so my numbers might be off by a few trillion. But I want to say it was $30 trillion in outstanding debt right now, and then like $130 trillion unfunded liability. How, how do you approach this problem? <laughs> so we, we are completely upside down with where we're at from a spending standpoint. And for a long period of time, the Federal Reserve set monetary policy with abnormally low interest rates. That gave a pass to members of Congress, of really of both parties, if we're honest with ourselves, as well as the administrations, of allowing them to spend way too much money and never having to deal with the ramifications for that because interest on the debt has been at historically abnormally low interest rates. Call it 1.5% rough math interest on the debt. So you have a $30 trillion debt. 20 trillion of that is actually owned by people who are, you know, could own bonds on the, on the, against the treasury. The other 10 is intergovernmental, right? Borrowing from Social Security of Medicare, a huge problem in and of mm-hmm. itself. But if we just look at the $20 trillion piece, a 1% move in interest rates, 1%, $20 trillion, $200 billion. Last year, rough math, we paid about $250 billion interest on the debt. We, most people are projecting the Fed is going to increase interest rates. Let's say they increase at 1%. That's going to add another $200 billion in cash that's going to be needed over the course of the next year, plus another $100 billion that we'll ultimately owe back to Social Security and Medicare, which are already headed in the wrong direction. 
And if we look back and we said, when was the, what were interest rates the last time inflation was hanging out at 8% or so? The federal funds rate was 14%. Over the duration of the decade of the 80s, the federal funds rate averaged rough math 10%. We even took half of that, you said just 5%. 5% would make interest on the debt a trillion dollar problem. And it doesn't play out immediately. It plays a little bit out over time as these debts mature and come due. I don't think we're having enough of a conversation with the fact that we have a huge fiscal challenge in front of us. It's two-headed. It's unwinding the monetary position that we're in, and people are going to feel the pain of higher interest rates. But it's also the debt and the, the interest on the debt uh, that I think is going to really squeeze a lot of policymakers uh, across the board. So I think we're, we have some difficult uh, times ahead. I'm more pessimistic on this than most people. Uh, but I'm wildly concerned about this, and I continue to not see uh, this Biden administration take these concerns uh, seriously. And I think we're 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 going to be challenged as a result of that. How, how often do you just hear people say, "Oh, modern monetary policy, <clears throat> just print more. It's not a big deal. You know, countries can't default." <laughs> yeah, there there is a broad view of folks that truly believe in modern monetary theory. And we lost Quarles from the Federal Reserve Board uh, this year. Quarles was probably the one guy left who was really trying to push back and say, look, we can't do this because we're eventually going to enter a high inflationary environment. Of course, he leaves the board and where do we enter a high inflationary environment? It's almost as if rubber hit the road is our debt to GDP ratio, which is, again, how economists think about this, spiked well over 100%. And so this is the canary in the coal mine inflationary environment that we're in, uh, giving us the warning that we need to tap the brakes uh, on the runaway federal spending, get our spending under control, and bring back down our debt-to-GDP ratio. So what needs to happen, say, next year to um, where are, like some of the immediate steps you need to take, like stop borrowing, <laughs> you know, stop printing, raise interest rates, like what, 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 is, what do you see as kind of like the, the formula in the short term? Yeah, so it's, it's a challenge. It's gonna be a long-term solution because we can't create the, the, the policies that would get us to fix this in the short term would be so draconian, we couldn't get them done. And I, and I don't think it's the right approach. I think it's gonna be a long runoff to, to unwind this. We have to do a handful of things. One, we gotta get our runaway spending under control. And so we saw pandemic era policies run amok uh, from the federal government where it was an opportunity to spend at every turn, right? including at the start of the Biden administration when they pumped through another $1.9 trillion under the guise of COVID that had very little to do with COVID. Mm -hmm. um, those payments are going to continue out for the next handful of years. The more we can pull these funds back, the more we can get our control on spending, the quicker we can do that, the better off we are. We also have to improve our policy environment that allows the economy to grow quicker than the economists are currently projecting. So we need to get rid of red tape. We need to get our policies in line such that businesses can get to doing what they do best, which is go out and hire people, uh, make money and increase the, the scale uh, of the economy. And then finally, we need to really look at what the monetary policy the Fed has done. Their bulk up of the balance sheet, this is gonna unwind over a long period of time, handful of years in front of us. Uh, but it's going to be a challenging road ahead as we unwind uh, the position that we've got ourselves into. So how do you see this year playing out? How do you see November, you know, right now when you're looking at the tea leaves? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think the American people are waking up and realizing that this isn't their grandfather's Democratic Party. Um, and so I think a lot of folks are looking at this and saying, okay, we need to dramatically change course. We need to return to energy policies that kept energy prices low, assist in getting inflation under control, get our spending under control. And I think from an, in particular from an economic standpoint, a lot of folks um, who previously thought that we could continue down this path are waking up and realizing it's essential that we rip the Band-Aid off the, these COVID-era policies and we get our way of life back. Sounds great. Well, Congressman, thank you very much for your time today and for joining us on the McIver Newsmakers Podcast. Thanks for having me.